Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. This week, I'm delighted to be talking to Lisa Blacker. Lisa is an educator, a life coach, an NLP practitioner, yoga instructor, mindfulness meditation teacher, a speaker, a presenter, a writer, but more than all of that wrapped up together, she's a coach in helping people recover from people-pleasing. Lisa, would that be the right way to wrap up your experience and what you do now? Absolutely. And golly, when you say it all like that, it sounds quite extraordinary. So yeah, very (laughs) impressive. Yes, yes. I am definitely now a coach for people pleasers. That's my new hat that I wear in, in present day. That's really, really good to know. I think there's a lot of nuggets here and you're going to be able to share, um, because a lot of the women that I work with really struggle to know what's the difference between you know, people pleasing or standing up for themselves, you know, where is that boundary? So why don't we delve straight in? I'm going to ask you some some questions about that. How do people identify if they are people pleasing? What does that look like? Yeah, Beck, that's a really good question. And, you know, there's kind of a fine line between being a people pleaser and just being a genuinely kind and generous person. And I think where we err on the side of it as you're a people pleaser or you have a habit, I like to say it's a habit of people pleasing or a behaviour of people pleasing as opposed to an identity where you are a people pleaser. So if you've got the habits and behaviours of people pleasing, you're more likely going to be sabotaging your own health and well-being for the sake of others so you're tending to put yourself put other people first before yourself it's almost as if you have this belief that your needs are not as worthy as someone else's and so that's where the people pleaser comes into it you kind of go out of your way to make sure that everybody else is comfortable, that you're keeping the peace, that you're not rocking the boat, that whatever they need, they get their needs met first and yours come second or last or not even at all. So it's this forsaking your own um, your own needs really, not, yeah. not even necessarily your wants, but your actual needs, things that you need for survival, you forsake those for the sake of others. And I think that's probably a big umbrella, um, but a really good starting point because there are lots of, you know, lots of different little um, indicators of when you might be pleasing. But I think the biggest one is that your belief is that everyone's needs are greater than your own and therefore you must serve serve them first. Do you find, mm, do you, find that there's an expectation certainly as we become mothers that well obviously we need to put 
at small humans' needs before our own. Um, do, do you think some of those habits that are unhealthy begin at that stage or is it much earlier than that typically? Oh, I think it's way, way earlier than that. I think this is in our DNA, to be honest, okay. and it's a generational um, a generational trait that's passed on um, through from mother to mother, mother to daughter, mother to daughter sort of thing because um, we've grown, us women of today have grown up in a society that is still very patriarchal and almost colonial in that the masculine is the most recognised um, trait to have and then if you're of the feminine um, side of things, then you follow what the man does or you follow what the masculine paradigm of living is and therefore we've been conditioned over millennia to be the caregiver, to be the nurturer, to sacrifice, to self-sacrifice and uh, always sort of waiting in the background to be called upon to whatever your whatever the whoever is the head of the family, so to speak, um, ha- whatever their needs are, and where we need to sort of hop into it. So, I think it's I, I believe it's generational, um, intergenerational, and been passed on for for many, 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 many years. Oh, I've been reading quite a bit lately about intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. and how that has led to some really fascinating conversations with my mother who's of a very different generation and talking about Australia Day specifically the conversations at our table wow oh yes it it is fascinating how um, trauma and habits and behaviors do get passed through generations um you mentioned about the masculine and feminine is it fair to say that the people pleasing habit and behaviors are more common in women than in men I'm not sure, to be honest. I haven't really dove into that as a uh, research and experiment. Um, I believe if we even take it through that, through the lens of trauma, I feel like there is probably 50-50. Like sure. it, feels, it feels like it, um, from a, a, a woman's p- perspective that there are a lot of women people pleasers and I most certainly work with a lot of um, women that's my my core client base are are women so I only know it from that perspective but if we look at it from the lens of the of a trauma response um, people pleasing is actually one of the four did you know there are four um, trauma responses we've got fight and flight which are very very common and freeze but people pleasing is actually considered the fawn response and so Given that, you could be, you know, the trauma that you experience as uh, a child could be a form of the form form response. Gosh, I'm getting my words all tangled up. Um, Form response. So that that would mean you could be male or female. It wouldn't matter. You were right. you would still be you you know you would be trying to keep the peace and make friends with the perpetrator of you know the, whatever situation you're in where you're being traumatized. And it might not even necessarily be you know a big T trauma. It could just be confrontation you know, that makes yeah confrontation bullying. Yeah. You know, um, being picked on just. Little, little, little tea 
I like to, we, we kind of term it as little T or developmental. So when you're young, just little situations where you felt scared or alone or threatened in some way, shape or form, um, fawning could show up in that respect so that you try to make friends with whoever it is so that they stop being mean to you or they stop picking on you, stop bullying you. So, yes, it, look, it, I don't think it's either or. I think it's a, a, res, um, a response that is non-discriminated of, Beautiful. you know, male or female. Mm. Um, I'd like to unpick a little bit about uh, personality types um, where does it get to an unhealthy habit and behaviour of people pleasing and where is it still quite okay to be somebody who brings help and, you know, um, sacrifice in, with a little s, if you like, to the, the people around them in order to, you know, have a, a happy, healthy, peaceful home? Mm. I'm thinking specifically, you know, profiling, Enneagram profiling, there's you know the the eights might be much more direct and more comfortable with confrontation and more decisive and and a number two for example is a helper just drawn to wanting to help people and you know there, there can be a lot of healthiness in allowing that to play out but where does that then become unhealthy you mentioned about not getting your own needs met but that could be such a Oh. intangible so maybe give us yeah some, yeah some. definitely and I think you're probably right there in in terms of um some personality types or traits that might show up that might sort of lead you towards more becoming a people pleaser or having more a, a higher tendency to people please and I certainly feel in the work that I've done with the ladies that I've helped and the research that I've done People-pleasing traits tend to show up more if you are more of a like an introvert type of person, you're quieter, you're shy, more shy. You find it difficult to, um, you know, step out of your comfort zone and, you know, stretch those boundaries. Perhaps you're, you know, feeling a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, not so, not so extra, not so um, out there and vivacious and big personalities. Probably quieter, quieter sort of um, types of people would are tending to be more um, more on the people pleaser side than not. So okay, okay, that's an, um, that feels it feels true, right? It just feels intuitively that that would likely be the case. Um, I don't want to get to broad here because I feel like it could get pretty inappropriate pretty quickly which we're not going to do um but do, do you have any observations about cultural expectations of women being people pleasers or the more feminine being people pleasers or the more introverted is there are there are you seeing in your work let's not be too general yeah. let's be quite yeah. specific if there's cultural expectations yeah. Um, look, I think in a broad sense, cultural expectations across the board, I, I don't have any specific um, research or background on different types of cultures and how more prevalent people pleasing is. I feel like it's more of a like a general, this patriarchal sort of culture that we live in, the paradigm that we live in, where the, the masculine is the dominant 
sex, for want of a better word, than necessarily cultural differences in that respect. I feel like there's more more generalised in terms of um, the patriarchy as opposed to different types of culture. And I and I know I don't know for sure, but I mean, when you look around and you um, see different people and you see them in environments, it certainly feels like there are some women who are more disadvantaged in the environments that they're in. But look, it could be anywhere. It could Absolutely. be anywhere. You know? I guess the reason I was asking that, I, I'm certainly not trying to put anybody on the spot, but I um I've been talking to a couple of clients recently who have had to. They've, they've had to fight against the expectations of the family around them in order to ask for what they want, and that has been to separate from their husband. You know, they're in a relationship that no longer serves them. They're utterly devastated that it hasn't worked out, and yet on top of that, they are they have this pressure in the, the cultures that they come from, whether that's, you know, a highly religious culture or um, European cultures that just don't agree with divorce um so I just wondered if if there was yeah. another layer in there I could help talk to my clients about but yeah, no, I think <laughs> I mean way. I'd love I'd love to put it to be that lineated and you know that there was a specific yeah well if you're in this culture this is going to happen but I don't think so I really think it is across all cultures that there are some families that have very strong um, expectations of the role that each member plays and therefore make it very difficult for someone to have their own opinions and to have their own desires and their own needs that need to be met in for in order for them to thrive I think that is that comes to a family culture and could be in any anywhere really and mm. the different personality types in that as well I'm sure that my daughter no matter what culture she'd been brought up in she'd be no people pleaser let's talk about boundaries this is something I talk about with clients quite a lot especially because if they've already made the decision uh, you know the the separation has happened but they get triggered so easily from not always the ex-husband it can be family members it can be somebody saying to you did you try hard enough to work it out um and if you're someone with the habit of people pleasing then the guilt spiral that comes with that kind of comment which it's just so unhelpful so do you talk to your clients about boundaries and setting healthy boundaries yes yes definitely that is kind of one of the bigger topics that we do cover is setting healthy boundaries. And, um, oh, it's big. Where do we begin? I think <laughs> <laughs> the most important part when having healthy boundaries is tapping into your values system, you know, what yeah. is most important to you? Because what what tends to happen is if a boundary has been crossed or um been pushed to the nth degree it it's typically something that's important to you and if I think in the beginning when I mean we've never really been taught how to set boundaries let's be honest like it's not something particularly if we've grown up in um families where there are no boundaries and um or you know the the family uh, dynamics that you're in there's there's a lack of kind of emotional maturity for want of a better word they we're only learning now how to manage our emotions in healthy ways and so 
our parents haven't really been able to model that kind of healthy boundary setting to us. And so we've never really been taught how to set boundaries. But I feel like once you start to realise that something is not working or that you're really uncomfortable with the behaviours around you or the expectations, that is that is an opportunity to sort of tap into, well, what is important to me? What do I need here and what or what am I not getting sort of thing? And so when you start to get super clear on what is really important to you, then you can start setting boundaries because you know, you know then what what you need to have protected. You know, boundaries are really um, about protecting you as the individual. Like if I'm setting the boundary, the boundary is for me. Yeah. It's to protect my energy, it's to protect my emotional well-being and it's to protect, you know, the time maybe that I have available. So it's for me. The yes. boundary is for me. So what's important to me is to be able to, for example, have some space to be able to do some of the things that light me up, that make me feel good, that fill my cup up. And if that's not happening, then what is happening instead? And that's where I need to set the boundary and, you know, set some time aside or tell other people, you know, these this time is my time and I will catch up with you at a different time, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah, or yeah, finding a way to to put that in place that might not feel selfish can be can be yes. challenging. But once you've got that technique, isn't it wonderful? Absolutely. And you talked about guilt and then just selfishness. Like those are two big red flags, I think. Um, when we start to set boundaries, we do feel guilty. We've never done it before or we've not been very good at it and boundaries have been loosened. Of course we're going to feel guilty because coming back to that people pleaser who wants desperately for the approval of whoever it is that they are people pleasing with, um, they want that approval and so they tend to sort of feel guilty that we might be upsetting that person or we might be putting them out or we might be disappointing them. And, of course, of course we're going to feel guilty and then feel selfish for wanting that time for ourselves or for asking for whatever it is that we need that yeah. comes up. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. coach your clients then on the kind of communication that they can use, the, the different phrases and words in order to create some distance? Yes, yes. Some yeah, yeah, for sure. My favourite is a, is the power of the pause. <laughs> I love the power Beautiful. of pause mm -hmm. um, to begin with. You know, if you feel like, you know, a boundary's been crossed or you have a need or something that you wish to communicate, pause first because that gives you time to uh, collect your thoughts and to come from a place of calm instead of reacting. One of the... Um, one of the um, practices that I've uh, studied and learned is is mindfulness and quite often the opposite of mindfulness is autopilot so reacting in an instant so if we practice the pause it gives us that opportunity to be mindful first of all about how we want to respond because genuinely we want to respond from a place of kindness and compassion but often what happens is our, our trigger has been pushed or our buttons have been pushed and the instant is to react. And so when we react, we often don't um, respond in a way with 
kindness and compassion. So I think the power of pause is certainly something um, that can be well practiced. And then um, having like an armory, an armory of um, ways to say no or ways to express your boundaries and express your needs. So, you know, coming up with a few little um, one-liners or responses because when we have to think of it on the spur of the moment, it can be really tricky because, you know, we're in reaction mode. So when we pause, we've got our little armory of um, phrases or responses that we can use, then we we can practice them. And, look, you need to practice them. It's just coming up with your own, I mean, you just have to Google, do a Google search, essentially, ways to say no or ways to express yeah, my yeah, needs, yeah. and you, you'll come up with plenty, but find the ones that work for you and make a little cheat sheet. Like these are the things that I can say if this happens because I'm sure. with saying them. Yeah, yeah, get real. Practice it in the mirror. Practice it in the mirror. And I think, too, the other part of expressing your needs and the communication is this feeling of confidence, having having the confidence to ask for what you want. And quite often our people-pleasing, when we're in people-pleasing mode, it, we're, we're already feeling doubtful about our needs. We're already feeling like we're not worthy and we're not um, we're not enough to ask for what we want. So having a little practice that gets you, you know, once you've paused, once you've got your few little phrases that are going to work for you, is almost stepping into a version of yourself that is confident and then having the courage to just go, oh, well, I'm just going to ask. What's the worst that can happen here? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. How does that sound? Does that sort of feel like a, a neat little package of <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. I kept thinking of, um, yeah, exactly how I apply some of those too. So just thinking of boundaries and the power of the pause specifically. Yeah. When um, there's a high conflict challenge going on with my clients and I and I talk them through it's okay to ask to shelve this conversation for another day or yeah. I'm not feeling very productive right now I'm not feeling very receptive to what you've got to say and I want to respect this conversation can we follow up tomorrow please yes or, I need some space to think about what you're saying the power of the pause is so important so so important yeah yeah, and exactly what you're saying about we don't want to be reactive. I do quite a lot of work in triggering, right? How do you calm the the triggering response so that you can respond, not react? Yes. Yeah. As you were talking through, it absolutely is a nice little parcel, and I'm like, yes, yes, and yes, and yes, <laughs> you're absolutely yes, right. Yes. Yeah, and it's really that um, if we if we marry it back to you know this trauma response fawn being a trauma response you 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 want to have this sense of safety for yourself really and i mean i'm i'm sure there are some situations with some of your clients where they don't feel safe but if they're in a situation where you know the partner is not a, a like a physical threat feeling tapping into that sense of safety within, even if it's just imagining a time or a place where they can take their brain to and their mind to, that is a safe place for them. That helps their body to calm down and to come back from, you know, this fight-flight 
situation or the fawn where, oh, I need to fix this. I've got to, you know, I've got to make you feel better. Um, that way they can, if you're feeling safe within your own container of your own self, then there's a better chance that you'll be able to communicate more effectively and and more courageously and even confidently. Yeah, that's beautiful. I really think that's gorgeous, tapping into that safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking not of physical violence or verbal violence. The One of the areas that I see this play out is a lot of women no longer recognise the person standing in front of them. Why is he so awful to me or why why is he acting in this way I don't recognise? I don't understand this person you know, what are his motives? I'm like, let's, let's not try and unpick any of that. Let's try and work on you and what you can do in order to, um, yeah, I haven't thought of that phrase, but in order to create that safe space in yourself, because that person's now an alien to you. You don't need to understand them. It's going to be a waste of everybody's energy because you're never really going to understand what's going on. Hindsight might help you years from now, but right now is not the time to try and figure out this alien in front of you absolutely absolutely and it takes us back to something that I use with my clients all the time is this circle of control like I preach the circle of control (laughs) I mean it's brilliant it's brilliant it's one I teach it with my teenage girls that I mentor as well you know this circle of control what do you have control over can you actually so so basic step back into your own circle and you know, you have 100% control over your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. That's it. <laughs> Let the rest go because you can't we, You can't possibly know what the motives are, what they're, what they're even thinking, why. I mean, for all we know, they could be in their own um, stress response and survival mode and just simply reacting to whatever is going on without any thought. And my other favourite thing is it's not because of you. Like whatever someone else is doing, their behaviour, however they are acting, whatever they're saying, it's not because of you. It's because of them and what's going on in their mind and all their beliefs and all of their expectations of what their world should look like. Yeah. It's yeah. nothing to do with you. It's not personal. Feels personal, I know, Absolutely. but it's so not so not that's a that's a big thing for people to get their heads around is this whole it's not not personal because it does I know it does I know it feels personal but absolutely does yeah certainly in in this situation you know Mm -hmm. when a marriage is ending Mm -hmm. um I'm just thinking back to what you were saying about values and also as as that conversation was just playing out um you mentioned or maybe I paraphrasing empathy right we don't want to get into the other person's head we don't we don't need to waste our energy on creating the empathy for the other person while we ourselves are going through whatever we're going through we need that safe space for ourselves so thinking of empathy and then also thinking of other values which I find really critical for people to revisit multiple times throughout your life but if there's an evolution and a marriage breakdown creates an evolution it's time to revisit your own values and your strengths what are you fabulous at but on the values piece um how would we differentiate if if one of my values is caring or loving or um being helpful Mm. how can i live with my values and avoid the unhealthy behaviours of people-pleasing. 
Yes, that's that's beautiful. That's a really good question. And we talked, we touched on this at the really at the beginning when we when we talked about people pleasing versus kindness and genuine kindness. So those values of caring and kindness are not necessarily part of being a people pleaser. Mm. You can still be kind and caring and set boundaries to protect your time and energy. (laughs) It is not unkind of you to do that. It is not selfish for you to have boundaries and um, to have expectations around how people will treat you. We get kind of hung up in that, you know, if you're people-pleasing then or if you're not people-pleasing then you must be unkind. Well, no, you can still be kind and set boundaries and have healthy boundaries. I feel that people need to hear that. I really do. That it's quite okay to be a loving, kind, caring person who has strong boundaries and is not people-pleasing. Exactly. Not the unhealthy version of people pleasing on those behaviors, putting yourself behind everybody else's needs when it's unhelpful. Yeah. Um, There's a word that comes up quite a lot in divorce circles um, and in the the industry. And it's one that I think is thrown around too easily. I'm not a fan um, when, you know, people are not experienced in diagnosing it and they throw it out. So my question is, what's a good balance between putting yourself first and creating healthy boundaries and versus the personality disorder where people have an unreasonable expectation of their own worth and are considered narcissists? Mm, I think you're right in that whole the whole terminology and coming to the, you know, what is a narcissist, I think there are narcissistic behaviours for sure, but diagnosing them, that's not our job, that's not what we do, and does get bandied around. It's too simple. Too simple. But I think when we come come right back to it, if we, we look at that selfishness, I mean, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of the boundary that you're setting? And we're looking back at what our values are. Again, we're still tra- tracking back, you know, what, what's important to you and are those boundaries being crossed? And then maybe it's a case of how we express what our needs are. It comes back down to that communication. You know, we can still communicate what our needs are in a kind and respectful way. Yeah. yeah. Without being, you know, selfish and for one, you know, for the term narcissistic, we are, we are, cons- and, and I want to say we're entitled to it. Everybody is entitled to be treated in a fair and equitable way. And if you feel like you're not being treated in a fair and equitable way that's in alignment with your values, then you have every right to express your needs. But there's also a way of expressing your needs so that they feel, you know, we, we don't have to be, can I swear on this? Can I swear? Yeah, please do, yeah. <laughs> we don't have to be assholes and wankers about how we express our needs. We can still ask for what we want Absolutely. in in a respectful way. Again, it comes back to that circle of control. You're in control of how you express what you need and it's up to you. It's up to you to express it. But what you're not in control of is how the other person receives it. 
exactly. you could still be, okay. yeah. you could still be the kindest, most generous, thoughtful person and express your needs in the most genuine and authentic way and someone will misinterpret. misinterpret. That's out of your control. It comes back to your values. It comes back to who you are as a person. Did I do that in the most respectful way? Let me just check. Yes, Mm. I think so. Mm. If I didn't, okay, how could I do it better next time? Learning process, yeah. And it's quite okay to be misunderstood occasionally. And it's quite okay to learn from that and try not Absolutely. to understand it next time. Um, Absolutely. And also something that I've learned recently is that it's okay to disappoint people too. goes along the same lines. Like because we can't control how someone is going to receive the information that we share, it's okay for them to be disappointed. We can't control their feelings. We can't manage that. It's not our job to manage how someone feels. That's their responsibility. And they're adults. Yeah. Most of the time they're adults. So, you know. A lot of adults behaving badly out there. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're absolutely yes. right. We can hold them to account. We can hold them, expect them to behave well. Yes. And they might surprise us. They might. They yeah. might. <laughs> Lisa, thanks so much for this. I think this has been super, super useful. I really enjoyed chatting with you. How can people find you um, to work with you or to learn about what you do? Yeah, it has been. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me um, on your show. I'm ex- I was excited to be here. So um, I'm available or via, you can find me via Facebook and Instagram through my tag, which I'll handle whatever that word is. <laughs> I'm still new to this, um, at Lisa Blackham Coaching. And Lisa is spelled a little bit differently. It's Lisa with an E, but I'm sure we'll put some um, little We'll tag it in the show notes. So Lisa Blackham Coaching on Instagram and on Facebook and my website is just lisablackham.com.au and they're the three main places where you can find me. And you do a combination of things, don't you? It's not just one-on-one coaching for someone who's feeling particularly challenged. You've also got some online courses. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A variety of different ways that people can work with me just because we're all at different places in our journeys. So, yeah. yes, I have, um, you know, premium one-on-one four-month coaching package down to just a one-month one-on-one coaching package or um, some online courses that are also really helpful. Themselves. Yeah, yes. that's incredible. Lisa, yeah. thanks again. So good to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something of value out of this episode. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright. I look forward to connecting with you there.